McCaffrey edition, all those other things there. Things are starting to get real good for the 49ers. And Tom, I think we're going to have a neck-and-neck neck finish for that division between the Niners and the Seahawks. And when they meet in a few weeks of Thursday night football, we're, uh, we're going to be in for quite a treat between those two. That, might, that game might decide who wins the division. Yeah, I think it really could. And, and you know, what hurts for the rest of the whole league, uh, or at least for the NFC, is they should have never let Trey Lance get hurt. Uh, the 49ers, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, the 49ers would not be in the position they are right now if Trey Lance uh, does not get hurt. Right. Right. Uh, and then last one on the NFL note, uh, Packers and Eagles. Packers have been a mess. Uh, you know, lost one last week uh, against the Titans. Uh, get a little few extra days off before this trip to Philly. And, and Tom, I know that Philly hasn't played great the last couple of weeks. But going up against Aaron Rodgers, I know that Green Bay's not good, not good right now. But that should be all the wake-up call Philly needs to put their best foot forward and try to get back on track here and play like they were a couple of weeks ago. Just knowing you got to go up against one of the all-time greats here. Um, th- this, this should be the wake-up call I think the Eagles need. Yeah, you would think so. They almost lose the Colts, pull it out of their ass. They figure it out. Um, I, the Eagles, the Eagles have to pull through here. Yeah. All right. Uh, coming up next is our Big Twelve breakdown. Matt Zimmick going to join us. Also, Coach Bo's going to stop by. Tom Fullery coming up in just a few moments as well. We will get started with our Big Twelve breakdown here on the Jones Report. <laughs> It is the Big 12 Breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you with a look around the Big 12 Conference this week as the TCU Horned Frogs are two games away from making their first ever college football playoff. That is the biggest storyline in the league right now. Who they will face in the Big 12 title game remains to be seen. Will it be K-State? Will it be Texas? Uh, still a lot to figure out over this next week of how that will ultimately shake out. And basically, here's the scenarios as they stand right now, Tom. TCU is in, and then if K-State wins against KU, K-State's in, we get an all-purple Big 12 title game. If K-State loses to KU, and then if Texas Tech, or Texas Tech, if Texas is able to beat Baylor, then Texas would be in the Big 12 title game against TCU. So we we begin this show every week with our hot takes. And here's my hot take for you, Tom. Here's what I'll say here. Um, I know that TCU put a shellacking on Texas, but we know what Quinn Ewers is capable of and the offensive weapons on that Texas team. If I'm TCU... I rather face K State in the Big 12 title game than I would Texas. Um, I know that they took care of Texas easier than they did K State, but I think K State played about as good as they possibly could have and still came up short in that game. I think TCU would beat K State just fine in a rematch. But as far as Texas goes, we know Texas didn't play their best. I think Texas could play better. 
Um, if I'm TCU, I, I want I want K State in that title game. I, I don't want Texas. What 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 say you? What's uh, what's your reaction to that? And then what's your hot take this week? Yeah, no, I think you're right because Texas has more talent overall. Maybe you know, I, I it's very hard to say that you could say Kleiman is coaching K State better than than Sark is Texas, but I you know as far as this season goes, I think you could say that. But uh, you want to talk about pound for pound, talent for talent. Um, it's hard to beat a team twice either way. They're still going to have to beat a team twice if they want to make the playoff. But, uh, whether and here's be another State. fact I'll add in, too. Uh, yep. At AT&T Stadium, if you're playing K-State, you know, crowd's probably pretty close to even. If you're playing Texas, that's going to be a UT home game. Exactly. Yeah. No. I, you know. You're absolutely right. And 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 so I TCU definitely wants to play K State again. It should be an all purple matchup. But I'll tell you what my hot take is. Um, I think some things are going to get shaken up this week. And um, you know, TCU has to run out and trot on the field to save their playoff hopes against Baylor this week. I don't. I wouldn't say they're running out of gas by any means. They did have to play in Waco. That is a rivalry matchup either way. TCU Baylor is a uh, a kind of a not a long stated rivalry, but kind of like one of those budding rivalries. I think will be continued into the new Big Twelve. But uh, Jones, for what it's worth, and for my hot take this week, whether it be true or not, I don't. I'd like to go back and listen to the shows and how many hot takes we got right. Hot take this week, Iowa State finds a way to upset TCU, ruin and, and And it, I am I am team chaos. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm the total opposite. I think TCU is going to beat the crap out of Iowa State this week. I, Iowa team, State. Team chaos. I see where you're going with that. But Iowa State has no offense. They can't score. How are they supposed to hang with this high-powered TCU team? You know, you might have said the same thing against Oklahoma State in Ames in 2011. Um, you know, it's a hot take for a reason. Give me Iowa State this weekend pulling off the upset, ruining TCU season. Tom, and- Tom, that was 11 years ago now. You're starting to sound like the K-State 98 crew here. Hey, li- hey, listen, Iowa State, you know, some things never change. K-State, K- um, I still I still think it's an all-purple bowl uh, in Arlington, but um, as far as TCU goes, I, I like Iowa State's one of those teams that just cause chaos. They can't even make a bowl game. I, I think they, they ruin seasons. And I, I think we get another team in there that also hates Iowa State. Uh, I think it'll be 11 years later, and I think TCU will still be talking about the time Iowa State ruined TCU's playoff chances. So, so maybe there'll be like a, a, a therapy session of the 20, uh, four, you know, 2022 TCU team, the 2011 OSU team, and the 1998 K-State team of the coulda, woulda, shouldas. Maybe they'll all get together for brunch or something. The the ultimate humblers. 
Yes. Change, but there's no cyclones in, in, in Ames, Iowa. Just change it to the Iowa State Humblers. And and I don't you know if, if Tennessee can have the volunteers, what a lame ass mascot. The volunteers volunteer for what? You know, change State from the Cyclones, change it to the Humblers, and and make their make their mascot some other little shitty little dog like Tennessee's is. <laughs> you don't like Smokey? No, I'm not a fan. Wow, Tom, dog hater. Okay. No, I just like I like better dogs. <laughs> All take right. Your, take your big old dog have an ass on. Uh let's uh look at the Big 12 slate of games here. Beginning on Friday, Baylor and Texas, 11 a.m. in Austin. Uh Tom, Baylor has uh been a disappointment this year, no question about it. Um they did come very close to knocking off TCU last week. Texas knows what's in front of them, have to win this game if they want to get into the Big 12 title game. Um, I know Baylor's had Texas' number as of late, but I don't think Texas loses at home in these circumstances. I'm going with the Horns here. How about you? Yeah, I'd probably have to go with the Horns, too. If it's in Waco, change the scenery. Uh, maybe a little different. Baylor coming off a tough loss against TCU, kind of gave it all they had. Uh, I got to go with the horns. Uh, moving on to Saturday action, West Virginia and Oklahoma State. The Pokes uh, last week just looked really bad uh, with that loss to Oklahoma, you know, getting out of score. What was it, 28 nothing in the first quarter? Tom, you were at that game, and it was bad. They did come back. They made it somewhat of a game. Uh, 28-13 in the fourth quarter, but uh, never got within single digits anyway in that one. Meanwhile, West Virginia, on their side of things, uh, last week gave up 48 points to K-State at home. They lose 48-31, the uh, final in that game. This one in Stillwater, and, you know, West Virginia is not going to be bowl eligible. Oklahoma State – Cannot make, make it to the Big 12 title game here. Tom, neither one of these teams really have a whole lot to play for at this point. It's I think it's going to kind of come down to desire here. Who who wants it more? Yeah, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see this senior day in Stillwater. Um, I will not be there. Um, I've, I've had enough. I've had <laughs> enough of it. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I'm I, the most interesting storyline this whole week for Oklahoma State and this game against West Virginia is the Spencer Sanders trot out there with a uh, with a recognition football for Senior Day. That's what I'm most. I'm not. I don't give a shit about the game. Um, you know, neither team. You know, OSU's going to a bowl game. Are they the cheesiest, or are they you know going to even a lesser bowl? Um, that I don't know, but at, at, at this point, it's like the, the biggest storyline for this game should be does Spencer Sanders try out there for senior day and have his name announced. If he doesn't, uh, then things get a lot more interesting for next year because we've seen both backup quarterbacks for OSU and neither have been impressive. So, well, and uh, he's got the COVID year of eligibility, so he could still do the senior day stuff and then even come back next year. 
So and yeah, and and that would be we've uh, seen that happen before already with guys. So yeah, right. He could yeah. So well, well I mean, we'll see. I, I, there's a if he, obviously if he doesn't try it out there for senior day, that means he's coming back. But um, I'll be interested more in the pregame than the game, Jones. To put this in perspective, I'll be watching uh, USA England before I watch this OSU game. I've I've had enough. They've cost me too much money this season, and and that's not even because I've bet on them. That's just in terms of going to the games. Um, TCU Iowa State. Tom and I are on different scopes in this one. He's calling the Iowa State upset. Uh, I'm picking TCU in a blowout here. Tom is literally saying the worst team in the Big 12 is going to upset TCU and have their best shot at the playoff. Now, hey, it's a hot take. Like Feinbaum, it is a hot take. You're right. Um, you hear people like Feinbaum and others saying, you know, this TCU team's not legit. Who they played and all this. I mean, realistically, it's, it's all bias here, folks. You flip that logo. If it was crimson and cream or if it had longhorns on it, it'd be a whole different discussion. This TCU team has passed every test. I mean, you know, and as far as winning these close games goes, I mean, if their name was Oklahoma, what we'd be saying right now, they're battle-tested, you know? So um, I think TCU is going to be just fine. And I said this a couple weeks back. I'm holding firm to it, Tom. TCU's winning out. I think they're going to be the first ever Big 12 round-robin undefeated team, and they would be the last because the round-robin's got next year. And then uh, I think they enter the playoff as an undefeated team. I, I'm calling it right now, and and I think they make a statement uh, you know, on, uh, on Saturday here. No, and I hope they do. I mean, for the sake of the, for the, sake of the segment, I'm taking Iowa State in the history of them upsetting – um, Oklahoma State, and they're they're essentially what would have been perfect season, and and they should have went on to the BCS national championship. Um, that's the reason it's my hot take. I said it actually. I said it. I've, I've said it for a couple of weeks that Iowa State was going to be a season ruiner, and and Baylor almost was. It took a, uh, a, a you know 15 seconds left, trot out, no timeouts. Uh, last second field goal for TCU to pull it off in Waco. Um, not saying they won't win, but for like I said, for the sake of the hot take, I will take Iowa State. Um, you know, I'm not going to put it out any money on this game. I'm not a big head in football. I'm not going to face really any consequences for taking Iowa State. So, um, I want I want TCU to win. I want TCU to. I want TCU to win the whole damn thing, but um, yeah, I also need somebody to hate Iowa State with me. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma and uh, Texas Tech. If I would have told you at the beginning of the season, these two teams would be meeting at the end of the year, and one of them is going to guarantee a winning season with seven wins, and the other is going to finish at six and six, I think you would have looked at me like I was crazy. Who would have thought Joey McGuire would have his team looking just as good as Brent Venables in their first year? And OU's favored by two. The game is in Lubbock, though. And this is a real toss-up game. And 
We saw Oklahoma play their best half of football all year last week. Texas Tech, meanwhile, um, coming off a close win against Iowa State, and then they put up a lot of points against KU the week prior. The, the same thing here could be said about both teams. I don't know what OU and what Texas Tech team is going to show up here. OU was MIA. You, you could have put them on a milk carton for that game against West Virginia a couple weeks ago. I don't know what's going to happen uh, here in this game. Tom, this is this one's hard to figure out uh, just because it has been a roller coaster for both those teams. But to be honest, I think I lean towards Texas Tech being the home team here and uh, seeing what they did offensively against Kansas here. Uh, they can They can put up points. Yeah, and a lot of things, a lot of weird things happen out in Lubbock. You know, if this is in Norman, I'm real, you know, I feel a lot better about taking OU, but uh, this is in Lubbock. Um, Texas Tech has not looked horrible. They've actually shown a lot of promise. Uh, and I, I think Tech is on the up and up uh, in terms of actually just being very competitive. You know, we Jones, we talk about, uh, you know, how competitive this Big 12 is in basketball, um, you know, with Lance Leopold coming back until 2029 and Joey McGuire showing some real promise in tech. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell's still Matt Campbell. Iowa State's had a down year, but everyone's getting tougher. This, uh, this Big 12 football-wise is starting to shape up, dare I say, like – Big 12 basketball is. Yeah, feels that way. Um, and then uh, last one here on the uh, Big 12 slate, KU and K-State, as great of a year it's been for Kansas to be bowl eligible and everything, there are tribals across the state are just even better. Uh, you know, K-State at 8-3, and three, KU at 6-5, and five, and – this would be a golden opportunity for KU to not only finally end that losing streak against K-State, but if they could take K-State out of the Big 12 title game, that would be awesome. You know, help their, you know, get themselves into a better bowl here. There's a lot to play here for Kansas here, Tom. Um, and they very well could win this game, but they're going to have their hands full. A night game in Manhattan, uh, K-State playing for a Big 12 title berth here. And this K-State team is playing really good football right now. They look like a complete football team. It hasn't mattered who they've played at quarterback, whether it's been Adrian Martinez or Will Howard. I mean, they've been good either way here. Um, this is going to be a tall task for this Kansas team. And coming off just a beating they suffered against Texas last week, their worst performance all year, all signs point to – uh, this being a K-State win on a Saturday. But I think Lance Leipold is uh, going to rally the troops and at least put up a much better fight than they did last week. Uh, you know, obviously Jalen Daniels didn't look quite right. Um, we know Jalen's a talented quarterback. For me, I, I it sounds weird to say, but I, I think they might be better off with Jason Bean in this game considering just – how off Jalen Daniels looked last week, that he was not 100%. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think 
for KU, I think you might run with the hot hand type thing and Jason Bean. But, you know, as Jones, and you're on the same boat um, for the most part, as a hateful eight fan, I would love nothing more than to see Baylor beat Texas and then KU cap off a season, cap cap off a historic season, um, you know, in the last – since 20-odd-7, 2007. Um, would love nothing more to see KU beat K-State in Manhattan. K-State still at that point, if Baylor wins – gets to the Big 12 championship against TCU. Um, there, there's a win-win scenario here. You know, there's there really is a win-win. K-State, even if they beat KU, not going to get to the playoff. They can still get to the Big 12 championship. Let's just have Baylor beat Tech. Or, sorry, let's have Baylor beat Texas. And then let's have KU cap off a – uh, the best season that you've ever seen since you were trying to think 11. Yeah. Uh, let, let's see that happen. I'm ready to see that happen. It would be, I, I don't know if K, KU can do it, but K State, like you said, looks like a complete football team. And, and I think they're ready to, to, to roll in. They will know what they have to do if uh, Texas does beat Baylor. And that yeah. early kick, right? That uh, that does it for a look around the Big Twelve this week. Uh, we will check in on Lincoln Riley and USC uh, Tebow, as the OU fans call him. See what's going on with uh, the Trojans. As uh, Matt Zimmick is going to join us next, we will get his thoughts on uh, that USC team, college football playoff picture. Also, uh, the realignment situation when Matt Zemeck joins us on the other side. Stay with us. Joining us now on the show this week, he is a part of the uh, college gridiron coast-to-coast family uh, with the Get Off My Pylon podcast covering all things Pac-12 and also the editor at Trojans Wire covering USC. It is uh, Matt Zemeck who's back on the program once again. Matt, welcome back, and uh, glad to have you with us, man. And and uh, we, we got so much to uh, talk about with uh, that USC program that uh, you've been covering right there uh, on the brink of what looks like a, a college football playoff berth if they can finish off things here in the next couple of weeks. It's great to be back with you, Tyler. And it's a fascinating week for USC, not just because – the game with Notre Dame carries high stakes and the college football playoff is within reach. But let's drill deeper into that reality that if USC does win the next two games, it will be in the college football playoff. Uh, unless maybe LSU beats Georgia, that could be the one monkey wrench. But you know, most likely if USC wins its next two games, it's in the playoff. But here's the tricky part. Before the season, even people who were bullish on USC even people who thought that USC would be right here in the Pac-12 championship game with 10 wins. You know, I think the national consensus was generally nine and three. And certainly the Pac-12 media poll in late July and preseason uh, coaches poll, the preseason AP poll, Tyler, they all picked USC third. So they picked USC to miss the Pac-12 championship game. Utah and Oregon was the consensus pick. Coaches poll, AP poll, Pac-12 poll. So USC has exceeded expectations significantly relative to the general national consensus entering the season in late August, early September. And, and so 
people who were bullish on USC, they felt that, you know what, all the criticisms of the program, like, hey, you're not going to turn it around in one year for play health, and you're not going to turn it around from four and eight, uh, you know, in, in, in one season, all those skeptical claims, I didn't think they held a lot of water in terms of getting to the Pac-12 championship game or winning 10 games. I thought USC could do that. But I did think, yeah, the playoff is too much in year one. The playoff, getting all the way to the top in year one, that was asking too much. So we have a fascinating situation where, oh, looky here, the playoffs can reach. And so the temptation and also the danger is for USC to start to get nervous. because This has been a fun team to watch. Caleb Williams has been enjoying himself. You know, obviously he's right there in the Heisman chase with C.J. Stroud. And so now that the playoff is a serious possibility, like USC doesn't need help. It controls its own fate for that. It's going to be so tempting and it's going to be so natural just as a point of human nature for the players to think, oh, we got to make the playoff now. It's right there. And if we don't, the season's a failure. And that could lead to nervousness. It could lead to a very different vibe. You know, if Notre Dame gets off to a good start, you know, is USC going to crumble? And so this is the challenge for Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. It's, hey, no one expected us to make the playoff before the season began. We're playing with house money. Keep having fun. Stay free. Don't think about the playoff. And hey, this is Notre Dame. Norder freaking Dame. Let's beat the Irish. Let's look at this game, this opportunity, this rivalry. Enjoy the ride. Don't start thinking about, oh, we could lose a playoff berth and that would be horrible. No, you know, in year one, it was just about getting to the Pac-12 championship game. Like that really was the main goal and see if you can play in a big New Year's Six game. If USC wins this game against Notre Dame, it can lose the Pac-12 title game. It's still going to go to the Cotton Bowl. Like that's the floor if USC beats Notre Dame. But of course, if USC loses to Notre Dame and in the Pac-12 title game to get three losses, finish 10 and three, probably kicks USC all the way down to the Alamo Bowl. So, you know, the playoffs, great if USC can do it, but really it should be all about having fun, going after Notre Dame, just winning a ball game and making sure that the bowl destination is worthy of this season USC's had. The worst outcome would be, just to crumble at the end under the pressure and weight of expectations. Hey, USC's exceeded expectations, so there's no need to burden uh, themselves with expectations now. It's far too late in the game. Just keep having fun and playing good football, especially on offense. So the, the situation as it stands, you mentioned the Notre Dame game coming up this weekend, followed by the Pac-12 title game, which I believe would be either Oregon or Washington. Um, correct me if I'm Utah wrong. Utah still has a slight chance, but yeah, Utah, Utah, I mean, Oregon and Washington very much in the mix and Oregon's the one that controls its fate the most. Right. And so with that said, with looking at the situation here, you have, you know, this Notre Dame game, which Notre Dame has played a lot better football as of late. And then a Pac-12 title game against an Oregon team that, Got a lot better in the second half of the season. Same could be said for Washington. Utah already beat them once. And it took everything to beat that UCLA team last week. I mean, Matt, it, this is this is far from a given at all that USC, let alone, is going to win out and make the playoff, but let alone if they win the Pac-12 title here in a couple of weeks here. I mean, these next two weeks are so critical here. They are. And I totally agree that like no one should be thinking that this is a slam dunk for USC, not one soul. Like, you know, you just look at what USC's done in the past month since the loss to Utah, beat Arizona by only one score, 
beat Cal by only one score. Okay, then you play Colorado. That's basically like playing the junior varsity. Don't, can't really assign any meaning to that. But then, um, you know, beating UCLA by a whisker. Like, and UCLA had the ball near midfield in the final minutes, and UCLA had scored 45 points. You think, hey, UCLA has a pretty good chance. Um, so, like, USC has been living on the edge. It hasn't been dominating. I mean, you can say that the offense is dominated, but the team hasn't dominated. And so, like, there's not a huge margin for error. And just looking at this Notre Dame game, Tyler, Notre Dame under special teams coordinator Brian Mason, he's a Broyles Award semifinalist, uh, one of the 15 semifinalists, best assistant coach in the country this year. Notre Dame's blocked over half a dozen punts. <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame is a punt-blocking machine. USC, on the other hand, doesn't even have a special teams coordinator. Like, Lincoln Riley believes that, you know, we have those 10 assistant coaching spots Hey, I need them for defense. I need them for recruiting. So he doesn't have a special teams coordinator. USC missed two field goals under 35 yards last week. Did a couple of pooch kickoffs that gave UCLA great field position on drives, led to UCLA points. I mean, USC lost a lot of points, like at least 12, if not 15, 17 points uh, due to special teams. Now you're going up against the best punt blocking unit and the best special teams coach in the whole country at North, with Notre Dame and Brian Mason, like that is a terrifying thing. And, and I, I would say that the odds are Notre Dame is either going to block a punt or at least force a shanked punt. Like there's going to be at least one really bad special teams play for USC in this game. And that's exactly what Notre Dame needs. Notre Dame needs splash plays, not on offense, you know, because Drew Pine is not a very good quarterback. You put him up against Caleb Williams you know, it's like David versus Goliath quarterback matchup, but Notre Dame can compensate for that on special teams and in other areas. And so like no one should think that this game is going to be a breeze for USC. I mean, it might be, you know, maybe Drew Pine, you know, throws a couple interceptions and it's good night game over drive home safely. That's certainly on the table as a possibility. But of course, as a coach, you have to prepare for the worst. You have to prepare for the other team's strength and USC on special teams is not prepared for what Notre Dame special teams units going to bring to the table. And things like that could make this game very, very difficult for USC. Yeah, very well could. Uh, you're absolutely right about that, uh, Matt. And so uh, with, with that being said, you know, I've been watching, you know, this USC team. And what I've seen, Matt, is, you know, it's, it's just like Lincoln Riley when he was at Oklahoma. Not just because Caleb Williams is there and in company, but, you know, they can put up a lot of points. They give up a lot on defense, kind of soft on defense, too, under Alex Grinch here. I mean, th th this is the Lincoln-Riley system. I mean, it's all being replicated exactly what he did at Oklahoma is coming up in USC here. And the big flaw I see, you know, whether it's this year or going forward, is that lack of physicality here. You're going to be good and you're going to compete, but I don't know if if they continue to do things this way, if they're going to get over that hump. Significant progress this year, but how better can it get, you think, uh, under uh, Lincoln Riley here at USC? What's their ceiling at some point? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's going to be the big test. And, hey, yeah, you follow the Big 12 very closely. I listen to your show, Big 12 Breakdown, as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. So, like, you know Lincoln Riley inside and out. You're very familiar with that program. You now know how he rolls. And Alex Grinch remains a mystery, right? I mean, you know, he, like he, he's not an elite coordinator. No, no one would say he's an elite coordinator. But, you know, he, as you know, he inherited the mess that Mike Stoops left behind. 
Uh, and he did a decent job in 2020, but of course he felt he stepped on a rake in 2021 when Oklahoma was supposed to have a really good defense for the first time in Alex Grinch's tenure. And he didn't do a good job of developing those guys. So like, that's the big knock against him, but it's a pretty small sample size. And so we like, we haven't yet seen a, a scenario uh, other than 2021 at Oklahoma. Like that's one season. We have one season in which we can say, hey, Alex Grinch was supposed to have done a great job with a stacked defense and he didn't do it. But that's just one season. No one you know, felt that he would have, have great material this season at USC. The cupboard was thin, left behind by Clay Helton. So it's well, I, I would of, also add, I would add, point to his time at Ohio State didn't go that great either. That's fair. That's fair. It also wasn't a very long tenure. Right. Um, and he did do well under Mike Leach at Washington State. But of course, that's not the same situation as Ohio State, USC, Oklahoma, the Blue Blood programs. But I mean, the, the real test case for Alex Grinch is, you know, can, can Lincoln Riley bring in elite recruits and get defensive depth, which he obviously was never going to have this season, uh, cleaning, cleaning up the mess from Clay Helton. If you give Alex Grinch defensive depth and quality, and then we need to see what he does. And then, then we're going to be able to get a fuller measure of him as a defensive coordinator. And there's just not a lot of evidence. I mean, 2021 at Oklahoma, when he failed, like that is the sample size thus far of Alex Grinch going into a season with the full expectation, this is supposed to work. Right. He didn't do it, but it's just one season. We need to see more. Like it's, it's unsatisfying both for Alex Grinch apologists and for Alex Grinch uh, critics. We right. just need to see more. And we're not going to, we weren't going to know this year. We'll learn more next year. And then when we get to the big 10 in 2024, that might be the year when we really, I think, get, get a much fuller picture of how good Alex Grinch is or isn't. Yeah. A uh, couple more things on USC and then uh, we'll move on to the broader scope of things. You mentioned like that, the, the big 10 transition, we'll get to that here in just a second, but here's, here's what I want to ask you. You mentioned Caleb Williams and his Heisman campaign C.J. Stroud up there as well. I know it's been brought up a thousand times over the years about the the West Coast thing, right, of that, you know, people aren't watching the West Coast games. It hurts the Heisman race and all that for guys like Caleb Williams. And I see Caleb Williams' name right now. His stock is higher than it's ever been when it comes to this Heisman race. Um, Is he being hurt by playing on the West Coast and playing for USC, or is he getting the – Right treatment. What say you as far as uh, his Heisman odds go? That is a fascinating question because, you know, USC is the exception to the Pac-12, you know, in terms of when USC has an elite Heisman candidate, that Heisman candidate doesn't suffer as a result of playing on the West Coast, playing in the Pac-12. You know, Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, you know, all won. That's three Heismans in a four-year span when USC was excellent. And now you have USC in the playoff hunt. And of course, USC's Heisman quarterback is right there with a chance to win. So that's not so much a a knock or a a deficit, I should say, you know, uh, hampering Caleb Williams Heisman candidacy. But I think what hurts Caleb Williams is simply that if it's basically a tie with C.J. Stroud, I think C.J. Stroud is going to get the nod because he's in the East. So it's not as though Caleb Williams is hurt by being in the West, but C.J. Stroud is helped by being in the East and helped by having the platform of, Ohio, of an Ohio State Michigan game in which both teams are 11 and 0. See, Notre Dame is 8 and 3. If Notre Dame was 10 and 1, I would actually elevate that game, Notre Dame USC over 
Michigan, Ohio State in terms of a Heisman catapult situation. But with Notre Dame being at eight and three and Notre Dame having a bad quarterback through Pine, you know, seeing Michigan and Ohio State both at 11 and 0, that game I think is going to get more juice nationally. It's going to carry more weight with Heisman voters. I do want I want to be clear for your audience, Tyler. Uh, this is not like who should win. Yeah. This is about the politics. And right. this is about judging how Heisman voters are going to react. And I think that they are in a, Heisman voters are more likely to reward Stroud than Caleb Williams for the same level of performance. Now, obviously, if one guy does clearly better than the other, and then that does, that's going to decide it organically. But I think if they're both pretty much at the same level, I think Stroud has the inside track because he will get more of a bounce on the Heisman ballot from the Michigan game than Caleb Williams will against an eight and three Notre Dame team. That's how I see the calculus of the race. I think Caleb Williams has to be noticeably better these last two games to win. If they're both the same, I think Stroud has it. Okay. Very uh, interesting points there. Uh, Last thing, as far as SC goes and looking at this playoff picture, um, you know, they're there at one loss. TCU's undefeated, of course, so is Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. It feels like to me, Matt, it's Georgia, and then it's kind of everybody else that I think Georgia's clearly the best team in the country, but then the next group of teams, I don't see a whole lot of separation from. A USC or a TCU or even a Michigan, to me, feels interchangeable. Do you feel the same way? Can these TCUs, the Michigans, the USCs of the world – did, do you think any of them have a shot to take down Georgia here? What do you make of the playoff picture right now? You know, I, you know, like I watched a, a good portion of the Georgia Kentucky game since it was before the USC UCLA game. Like Georgia's offense is not a lock to play well. Like that, that's just not a guarantee this year. Uh, Georgia is, is a few notches worse than the 2021 team. Like we know that that 2021 team, as you're well aware, 15 NFL uh, draft picks, the most ever. So this team is still really, really good. We all saw that team shut down Tennessee's high-powered offense. But overall, you know, the full body of work, the full team, not nearly as dominant, not nearly as imposing as last year's group. So I think Georgia's takeable. I would say that, you know, because the Peach Bowl is one of the two playoff semifinals, Georgia really, it's important for Georgia to get the number one seed. So like if Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC Challenge game, it's still going to get into the playoff but it won't be the one seed. It's going to get kicked over to the Fiesta Bowl. And then that's the vulnerable spot for Georgia. Georgia might have to play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale if it loses to LSU. Um, so, you know, that's really the focus for Georgia. You want to win out, get remain unbeaten, get the Peach Bowl, and then you're playing Atlanta. And that and that's going to be really hard to beat Georgia in that semifinal. But then in the championship game, if it's Ohio State uh, against Georgia, like, Ohio State has the weapons uh, to beat Georgia and Ohio State's defense, which was so bad last year. It's a lot better this year. Now, you could say that the Big Ten has been so weak that Ohio State really hasn't been tested. But you can also say with with Georgia, hey, um, you know, Georgia is not going to play Nick Saban in Alabama. Like That's a real break for Georgia. Not so much in terms of the matchup between these two teams. Like 2022 Georgia is a lot better than 2022 Alabama. But on a broader scale like you went into the season thinking Georgia's going to have to go through Alabama to win it all the Bulldogs don't have to do that um so you know 
the, the matchup in the semifinal could get pretty interesting, but the, the, the national championship game probably will have a team that can compete with Georgia. I think that Ohio State beats Michigan big because uh, Michigan's passing game is just falling apart, and Blake Corum is not 100%. So uh, Michigan's limping into that Ohio State game. So I think Ohio State takes that one big. Uh, and then I think TCU is actually a not, a certainly a few notches below the other frontline contenders uh, because you, you, you've been following TCU in the Big 12, and, hey, it's been an amazing season. Like, who, who thought Sonny Dykes is going to be here in year one <laughs> with a chance to go to the playoffs? Also, Lincoln Riley's younger brother, Garrett Riley, like he, yes. he, the Riley brothers could both be in the playoff. What a story that would be. So like, it's an amazing season for TCU, not trying to rain on the Frogs parade, but you're aware, like opposing quarterbacks got injured pretty much every week. I mean, like some big injury has happened to a TCU opponent so many different times. And the Frogs came back from a 17 point deficit against Oklahoma State, came back from an 18 point deficit against Kansas State, came back from that late eight-point deficit against Baylor with the fire drill field goal. I mean, th this has been a remarkable ride uh, for, for TCU. And so you, you think when TCU goes up against another top-tier opponent, that four-leaf clover is going to run out of magic at some point. You got to think. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. It might be the playoff when it does run out of magic, but uh, certainly interesting to follow how this all will uh, play out. Uh, USC headed to the Big Ten, and UCLA is supposed to follow them. We'll see what goes on with the uh, California Board of Regents and, and all that situation. But uh, with, with everything where it stands right now, Matt, wh what do you think is going to happen here? Are we going to see the Pac-12 add teams and stay, stay afloat, or is there going to be a split? Um, wh what is the future of the Pac-12 you think hold right now? I think the, the thing I'm most confident about in terms of what happens to Pac-12 next, it's going to add San Diego State because there ha you have to have a school with a footprint in Southern California. You have to give the other teams in the Pac-12 a reason to travel down to Southern California for recruiting. So it's like San Diego State is the, is the school that the Pac-12 needs to get, and I think the Pac-12 will get because like there, that there's mutual benefit on both sides of that. For the Pac-12, for San Diego State, San Diego State created a new stadium, is investing in facilities. It's it's the right match for both sides. Now, the question marks, you know, Gonzaga, and, you know, I, I think it was Brett McMurphy who said, you know, that uh, talks with the Big 12 are intensifying. So I'm, I don't know what's going to happen with Gonzaga uh, in terms of basketball-only membership. Fresno State and SMU. Now, you talk to Pac-12 insiders. Those are the other two schools who could join San Diego State as a 12th member, but like there's no law saying you have to have 12. We could have the Pac-11 with San Diego State. So right now, I think San Diego State getting added to the mix, that's the one thing I feel safe about. The other things, um, I don't really know. And then, of course, we need to see what the Pac-12 does in terms of its television deal and its media rights deal. You know, Brett Yormark did a fantastic job getting the money that he did uh, for Big 12 schools uh, so we'll see what George Klyavkov is, is going to do. Uh, you know, the, 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 the rumor on the street is that you know, he's going to get a digital deal with Amazon, but that's going to be his play, his angle to try and get close to the big 12s money. I don't think he's going to quite match the big 12 money, but I think he can come fairly close to that, you know, Oregon, Washington, uh, Utah, Colorado, the Arizona schools don't jump ship. For the Big 12, I, I think that's a, another reasonable outcome. Not that the Pac-12 matches the Big 12 money, 
but gets close enough that no one's going to want to jump ship. And, and so with that, here's what I wonder, though, if, you know, the, the Big Ten thing is still out there, you know, with, with Oregon and Washington, and those rumors haven't died down by any means. When, when you're the Pac-12 here, aren't they going to struggle to get their teams to sign a new grant of rights here? To me, not only is the TV negotiation, but – why on earth would you sign a new grant of rights, a long-term grant of rights agreement right now if you're Oregon or Washington or some of these schools that might have Big Ten interest? I think it goes to the point that, you know, if Fox, which, you know, of course, was behind the USC-UCLA move, you know, if Fox is supplying the, the TV money. Uh, if Fox wanted Oregon and Washington, it would have made the invite over the summer, and, and it didn't. And I think that's and – I, and I will admit to being surprised. Like, you know, this USC-UCLA story broke on June 30th. I was thinking that within two weeks, Oregon and Washington would get invitations uh, from the Big Ten, and it didn't happen. And uh, industry insiders uh, said, in ter- like in terms of their own internal valuations, uh, like former executives at Fox and other TV networks, they said Stanford is worth 15 million more per year than Oregon, and that blew me away because Oregon's been making national championship games, made the first college football playoff in 2014 won a Rose Bowl a few years ago, you know, remain nationally relevant, you know, still could play in the Pac-12 championship game next week and get to the Rose Bowl uh, this season. But Stanford's in the Bay Area market and Oregon's in the Portland market. And so that TV difference, uh, also Stanford's academic and research and development reputation, all those kinds of things, apparently, you know, according to the people who, you know, crunch the numbers, uh, that that makes Stanford a much more valuable property in Oregon. Not what I was expecting, but that is what a lot of people behind the scenes have been saying. So I think that, uh, you know, the incentives for leaving or it, it is kind of irrelevant because it, the, it, you might want to leave if you're Oregon, but if no one takes you, <laughs> where are you going to go? So that is really the thing that the, the demand for Oregon and Washington from the Big Ten, from other conferences has not been nearly as great as I think a lot of us, myself included, thought it was. And so if there's no outside demand, that's going to keep the Pac-12 relatively intact. I would say, though, that if George Klyavkov does not fetch a significant number in the upcoming media rights negotiations, when he, you know, when he signs a deal, then that that really is what's going to keep uh, schools from uh, you know saying, hey, we're going to anchor ourselves here. That That's what uh, that's really the next big domino to fall. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great point, and and we'll kind of end on this. Uh, you know, with, with that being said, I mean the the gap is going to be so significant. It's already a big amount as is, but if you're you know, one of those Pac-12 schools and you see what the Big Ten and the SEC and some of these other conferences are making here, I mean the Pac-12 as it is is just not sustainable like that. Eventually, I mean you're 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 going to keep keep calling the big 10, right? I mean, just cause you, you can even sign a new grant of rights and you're still wondering how do we get out of this thing eventually? Cause that gap's only going to get further from here. Right. Uh, you know, probably, I mean, and you know how the landscape looks in a few years when Texas and Oklahoma do join the sec. And when all of these realignment moves are finalized. Also, the other thing we have to keep in mind is the 12 team playoff plan and what that looks like. Oh how the television pie is split up, uh, what the particulars of the final plan are in terms of automatic bids, at-large bids. And the other thing is that, you know, five years from now, once we're like a couple years into 
the the new 12 team playoff all the current grant of rights deals they're going to be five years more advanced so like leaving getting out of a grant of rights in 2027 2028 it's going to be a lot less expensive than it is now in the bigger picture I think we're going to see a lot of realignment at the very end of the 2020s, the end of this decade. We're just not going to see anything in the next few years because there are just so many uh, uncertain elements to it. But once those uncertainties become certainties and people can see the new financial landscape and all the exit fees and penalties for leaving a grant of rights uh, become substantially lower, I think that at the end of this decade, you're going to see another round of realignment. It's just not going to happen right away, but it's but it's around the corner, you know, several years down the line. Matt, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us, man. Where can people find you and see all the great work you're doing, man? Trojanswire.usatoday.com. It's under the Gannett uh, USA Today umbrella. And uh, we're partnering with uh, our friends at Fighting Irish Wire uh, to cover the heck out of this Notre Dame USC game. So follow us at Trojans Wire and follow uh, Nick Shepkowski uh, at Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish Wire. He's going to cover the heck out of this game. We have a lot of fun content for you as well. So you want to just read our two websites uh, this week and, and hope you'll enjoy it. Awesome stuff, Matt. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Great to be back on your show, Tyler. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, you too.